Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5, located on the campus of Seton Hall University. I am very pleased today. We have a very exciting guest, uh, Professor Amar, who is Professor of Management in the Stillman School of Business. He has an article that's fresh off the press from Harvard Business Review that talks about to be a better leader, give up authority. Professor Amar, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad I could come here this morning. What is the inspiration for this article? You indicated to me that you've been working on this work for 10 years. Mm -hmm. See, the main inspiration came from the change in the workforce in the United States in particular and globally in general. As we know, uh, in America, we are, we are not competitive when it comes to labor. We are competitive when it comes to innovation. We want to do new things, different things. And for that, we need the kind of workforce which is going to use their brains, or what we call these are workers of the mind, workers of the brain, workers of the knowledge. They bring in knowledge. They apply their knowledge in their companies. They come up with products which are not just same old products produced cheaply for the mass market. These are new products, different products, doing different functions. For these kind of workers, the leading techniques are not the techniques of the old management school. These are the new techniques. I got interested in them about 10 years ago. And then I collectively uh, had some compilation of everything that should make what we call uh, knowledge workers or knowledge organizations. And I wrote a book called Managing Knowledge Workers. And I also, in response to the book, designed a course called Managing Knowledge Workers, an MBA course. And that course started out relatively with limited interest, but pretty soon uh, it became so popular that we had to offer it more than once a year. So the book is called Managing Knowledge Workers. It is published by Quorum Books and uh, it came out in October of 2001. That book was the starting point. And since that book, uh, I have uh, published a number of articles on how do we manage knowledge workers, how do we get higher productivity from them, how we get innovation from them. And this most recent article is one of those many articles and many lectures. In fact, uh, in 2007, I was on sabbatical at Westminster Business School in London. And it was there that uh, professors became interested in this subject. And they asked me if uh, I would like to help them do research in this area. And it is the the most recent article that you are referring to from Harvard Business Review has been the product of that work started at uh, Westminster Business School in London. Let's take a step back. How did you get started in, in this area? Uh, tell us about your, your background, your education, and how you landed up here at Seton Fine, Hall University. Sure. Uh, I actually did my bachelor's in India in engineering, uh, in production engineering. And production engineering's emphasis was on um, making engineers who will be entrepreneurs, giving them technical skills as well as engineering and managerial skills. But obviously, 
I was more into academics, more interested in research and in uh, furthering the knowledge. So I came to the United States as a graduate student uh, to do industrial and management engineering. And then I got interested in business and did MBA and PhD in business with management as my major. Uh, I started at Seton Hall uh, in 1983 uh, as an associate professor of management and been here since then. You know, I'm a graduate of Seton Hall. Unfortunately, I missed you because I, I, I graduated in 81. From the business school? From the business school, well, yes. you were two years ahead of my time. <laughs> <laughs> and this article, um, as you indicated earlier, came from your 10 years of research. What prompted you to write this article today? Mm -hmm. See, the important thing is if we are engaged in knowledge work, uh, we can't expect one person to have answers to everything. So we believe that these knowledge workers are really a, a kind of uh, sole proprietors of the knowledge they have. If they use it, they give it, they share it, fine. If they don't, there is nothing you can do about them. So the important thing is how to motivate them to share their knowledge to apply their brains in solving the problems that the company is facing or in designing or developing or distributing or producing new products and services. So here, because of the shift that has taken place in the United States workforce, and uh, as we know, more than 40% of American employees are uh, knowledge workers. And if we do not, and they are not just workers who produce things, repetitive things. If someone does repetitive thing, we call them operational workers. But these people do not engage in uh, repetitive things. They do things which are non-routine. If something is routine, we expect these knowledge workers to turn them to computers. Uh, I personally believe uh, if America has to succeed in global competition, America will have to let either uh, computers do our jobs or knowledge workers do our jobs. We would see a huge decline in blue-collar workers or operational workers in the United States. It is passe. It is gone. In fact, blue-collar workers had the steepest rise in uh, occupations or in uh, organizations in America since the uh, early 20th century and uh, 1930s onwards. But they saw also a steepest decline in the demand for them. And the future is going to be even worse. There are going to be people for whom there will be no jobs and most of them are going to be blue-collar workers. And then there will be those jobs that will go begging because there will be really right. not enough people to take them on. These are the workers we are talking about, yes. how to manage them, how to lead them. And uh, this all this research I'm talking about is focused on if there's anything which is repetitive, it should not be done by humans. It should be done by robots. It should be done by computers. And then the question arises, how do we lead and manage these workers 
who are what we call the knowledge workers. Now, let's let's talk about this for a second because you're saying that as a leader, I'm going to give up authority to set the the strategy, to set the vision. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as a business, we have to turn a profit. Right. So there's track A, turn in a profit, and track B for innovation. Are you suggesting that? No, because uh, you do not have two separate tracks for profit and innovation. In fact, they go along together. But w- what we are saying here is innovation is the means to profit. Profit every business has to make. Mm-hmm. We, we do not want to even tell employees, I am here to make profit, I am here to make money. That is understood. Business means it's for profit, and being a, a profit entity, it is everyone's job in the organization how to make most profit, how to maximize return for stockholders and for owners. The question is, how do we do it? That That is the m- most important question. But don't most uh, people on the team look f- to the leader for a direction? It's leader give direction when leaders know which way should you go. When leaders do not know which way should you go, then all leaders do it, okay, what should we do? And all they do is become catalyst. So it is not a question of leaders setting the goals or strategy or the vision. It is uh, mainly leader bringing the people along and asking them, all right, what should we do? What should be our vision? And here, two companies that I have cited here in in this paper, uh, one is called Computer Sciences Corporation, or CSC, which is a $17 billion global uh, IT service provider, and another high-tech company called Anadigix, which is uh, headquartered in New Jersey but has operations in several uh, countries. These are two examples uh, uh, we cited in this article, but there are several other examples and applications we have done, or I know uh, others have done. The focus is on creating in uh, in what we call intrinsic motivation for employees, so that they buy into what the company is doing, or they give company a shape, a shape that uses the strengths of the employees. If, as manager, as leader, if you set vision and there is nobody to carry it out, that vision is never going to be accomplished. This is the reason why waste effort in trying to devise your vision when these knowledge workers are not going to be able to do it. Obviously, you know about Taguchi. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in graduate school at Lake Forest Graduate School of Management, um, I had to read the book Taguchi and apply it to my sales organization. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking, boy, this teacher's really off his rocker because what does manufacturing have to do with sales? But as I read the book and understood his principles, it's about designing quality into the process, but having all of the stakeholders around the table involved in the process. Right. This way, you, you're designing a common vision amongst all of the expertise within the group. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy you're explaining this because I was just talking to Judy Estrin, right. uh, a previous guest. She's the author of The Innovation Gap, and she talked about uh, managers who use fear versus managers who use challenge and inspiration to draw people to come out with the best of their ideas onto the table and collectively bring a new decision to it, the table. It, it is true because fear does not work. 
Fear doesn't work anywhere. Forget about knowledge workers. In, in fact, fear has anti-action uh, anti to what we call motivation. Fear makes people unmotivated. And this uh, get nervous, they get confused, and they make more mistakes. Fear is not the answer. But uh, what we learn for um, operational work or production work, uh, and we said fear will not work there. But here in knowledge work, it, it is it's it's totally a killer of uh, initiative or a killer of innovation. So w what we do here is we we rather than bringing fear in there we bring in what we call intrinsic motivation or we also call we bring in what is known as mutualism mutualism, mutualism. yes that, that, that's a new word right. i i read in your article yes yeah. mutualism means we believe that people are motivated when they see something for themselves in the act we it's not the paycheck Paycheck is not going to motivate knowledge workers. Pay, uh, we know from uh, management and leadership like Herzberg's work that uh, the, there is what we call hygiene according to Herzberg's work. And hygiene means you got to give your employees the minimum to simply keep them. If you don't even have that, you will lose them. And paycheck is the minimum. Everybody makes money. Every employer makes a payment to the employees. So that is not what is going to move employees, the knowledge workers in this case. So what will move them is really something that comes internally from them, what they want to do. And that is what comes from mutualism. Is it also having an understanding? I like to use the phrase Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. Each of us has this right. particular hierarchy of needs and for the manager to tap into an individual's motivations, if right. you will, mm -hmm. to get that intrinsic yeah, uh, motivation. motivation. Right. See, if, if you look at Maslow's need hierarchy theory uh, or the pyramid, then uh, we are really talking at the top two levels where or topmost level where we are talking about self-actualization self-actualization is where people really are moved by themselves or they are motivated self-motivated and th this is what knowledge workers are and knowledge workers are not at the lower levels of the hierarchy uh, as given by Maslow they are at the higher level so we have to see how to bring them on board, and what motivates them, what challenges them uh, are really few things. One of them is work, work itself. Do they enjoy what they are doing? Do they take pleasure from the work they are doing? If it is true, they would uh, perform. And then there are also other things like, uh, I, I'm going to quote from my book, Please. managing knowledge worker mm -hmm. that um, motivators are physiological psychological and sociological the physiological motivators are things which help us in our uh, rest in our physique mm, that means if i can set my own schedule that suits my need and my physique my body and all that then i have a motivator so Th these are some of the things that can be done or 
I want to rearrange my office. That suits my personality. I will uh, be uh, looking for physiological motivation there. And company lets me do it. I, I feel more motivated about my work. Then, uh, I, and I know uh, some companies that will be, rather than giving employees a bonus in cash, they will say, you have $500 to buy furniture for your office. So they may go and buy a chair, which is comfortable, a table, which is ergonomic, which is well-designed. They feel more uh, at ease when they are working. They become more productive. So that is physiological uh, classification, uh, first classification of uh, motivators. Then there are psychological motivators. Psychological motivators are, can I make decisions that pertain to my work, that pertain to, for example, technology I use, or vendors I, uh, I select, or can I go and talk to my customers and have direct communication with customers so I know what, I'm, what am I doing, uh, are their needs being filled, properly fulfilled or what do they need Th that means my mind feels fulfilled and then there are psychological needs and cycle or what we call psychological motivator uh, I'm sorry sociological the third sociological motivator sociological motivators are we enjoy the company or association of certain people can I go and make my own teams can I go and select my own secretary can I find out people I'll be working with because many people and it's been repeated in surveys over and over many people stick with jobs that don't pay very well they stick with um, uh, bosses who are abusive because they love working with some of their colleagues and to them that is a bigger reward and bigger motivator than anything else they get. So th this is how you try to bring these in your system of the reward design and then you, you let people pick what they like. It's because people value these things differently based on what their needs are. And like you already mentioned, uh, Abraham Maslow, if we uh, talk about Maslow, people are at different levels. And eventually we expect everyone to move up. But some may be at a higher level, some may not be at that higher level. So you may like to find out where are uh, these employees situated and how to motivate them by giving them proper reward. And, and how do you assess where they are in their particular growth? This do, do you believe in standardized testing or how do you Let's see, determine the, there are tools available, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but more than these standardized tools, it is the manager's own experience with employees. They, they should know their employees quite well and then uh, work with them accordingly. We fundamentally assume that every employee, every individual is unique. There are no two people alike in this whole world. And if, and we know from looks, but looks may have something similar. Minds don't have at all anything similar. So combined with mind 
and body and sociology now you really are saying for sure that every individual employee is unique in his uh, himself or herself then managers got to know what is the uniqueness of this person and then manage them accordingly do not make rules do not apply rules uniformly to everybody if you do you are going to be failing your organization you know you're you're talking about a manager having a very high emotional intelligence mm-hmm. capability right and i think emotional intelligence is something that a lot of managers just aren't oh, even aware of the term it it is true i mean that is daniel goleman's w- uh, work but uh, emotional intelligence uh, d- does play an important role it it uh, it is not sometimes that training you have to give to managers about emotional intelligence they learn in fact as they move high in the uh, higher up in the hierarchy they gain it if they do not gain it they will not move up because emotional intelligence is very essential to move up in life no matter what kind of job you do and that is less of my concern because people who have moved up to the level which uh, I am talking about their leadership or or managing them that uh, is less important to me i uh, i assume emotional intelligence is something that should be taught uh, to school kids uh, at very young age and by the time they are in high school they should have uh, total maturity I, I, of I just I, I totally agree with you mm-hmm. however but what we've seen in the course of American business particularly here in the US mm-hmm. that there's a lot of managers making a really a lot of bad mistakes and some of it has to do with them saying it's my way or the highway or I'm going to do I'm just going to do it my way um, I'm going to let good workers leave the company because I want this done my way I mean am I making a uh, a blanket a wrong blanket statement of thinking that these managers lack emotional intelligence uh, n- not at all in fact you are you classified them appropriately by calling them bad managers uh, or less than uh, managers they definitely aren't doing their job professionally whether they have emotional intelligence i i, I would say it probably is independent uh, of their emotional intelligence most of these managers and i assume you are talking about the banks and insurance companies and other some of the manufacturing companies that have failed uh, in last year or so you are uh, talking about managers there it's people make decisions sometimes that are irrational and or at least to us they seem irrational they may be guided by their personal uh, agenda they may be guided by their personal uh, needs personal or business. greed or whatever mm-hmm. we might call they are short term oriented in their decision making this is not their fault this is the fault of the system that allows these kind of managers to continue and uh, and then on top of that it rewards them rather than having long term uh, orientation uh, the reward in these organizations are focused on short term orientation and i think 
it it, it probably has to do with the way our uh, boards corporate boards are structured and governed uh, they do not have as much power as the man corporate managers do and then they end up doing things which really uh, serve their own needs rather than serve the larger needs of the uh, organization but uh, but i think you're on a point there everyone is responsible here because here we have folks who invest in the stock market mm -hmm. they're looking for a return on their stock so the company has to deliver quarterly returns so that folks would get excited about investing in their company so then they are short-term focused in regards to what they're setting the direction for the respective uh, groups no i i do not disagree with you uh, on the on your classification of focus on the uh, short term but that doesn't mean you lose the sight of the long term or long uh, orientation because if you lose the long term focus then you are in fact uh, i in, in my judgment you you may be responsible for uh, malpractice as manager because you're destroying the company while you are trying to make quarterly returns or uh, annual returns and then you say okay it is the time for me to uh, take my severance package my few millions and walk uh, walk away Th that is the bad part so there should be uh, there should be some focus some importance given to the short term uh, uh, this is america uh, most of our businesses are conducted by publicly traded firms and like you said uh, people invest their money in stock market because they believe they will retire on it or they get dividend and they pay their bills based on that or there are universities that pay their scholarships and the research grants out of the money they make uh, from these investments these are important but it doesn't mean that we are going to lose the focus on the long term. Long term is more important than short term. Th that is, in fact, to some extent, flaw in the American uh, business management that we are really putting too much emphasis on short term. You know, um, if you had had the opportunity to listen to my interview with Judy Astrin, she also focused on that as well, that we're mm -hmm. too short-term focused and that we really need to look at the long-term to establish the right type of value system uh, within the U.S. But if I'm a manager and I read your article mm -hmm. and it, it's like, wow, I need to, to, to really allow my groups to uh, develop the skill of mutualism to be able to uh, help drive the vision, how do I get started? I mean, if, if I'm completely new to this particular topic. Right. See, first, as we said, you give up your desire to lead as manager. You should expect your employees to lead themselves. When they know that they are responsible for leading themselves, then they will come up with things which motivate them. You pull them together, somehow bring them into the system, and what we call legalize them or routinize them and integrate them into the system so whatever they do is is rewarded and we believe the uh, best mutualism is when people get uh, people do what they want to do and they reward themselves the way they want to reward by how much they want to reward if i want to reward myself by increasing my pay i should be allowed to do that and companies can do it they can 
provide their employees opportunities to work longer hours or take additional uh, assignments or opportunities and uh, add financially to their paycheck. Then there are others and uh, believe me, there are many who do not want additional pay. They will rather want some free time. Give them the opportunity to have the free time or give them the opportunity to make their own schedule. There are certain hours for which you may say you have to be here at work, but then maybe remaining 50%, 60% or even more time, they may do the way they want, come when they want, go when they want, and, and they will feel like it is their place, they belong here, and that is how mutualism is, is going to uh, come to grow. Well. Professor Amar, we are at the end of our time for this program. This is a very dynamic topic, and I hope you come back with us next week to discuss this topic further. All right. Well, we will definitely plan something. Excellent. This is Darrell Gunter with Professor Amar. He is the author of the Harvard Business Review, Review article titled, To Be a Better Leader, Give Up Authority. Again, this is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on Seton Hall, WSOU 89.5 FM, located on the campus of Seton Hall University, South Orange, New Jersey. Have a great weekend, and remember, leadership begins with you.